Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the very first episode of Soho Shortwave. This is a monthly podcast from Soho Radio, giving you a taste of the best content we produce every month. Soho Radio is an online radio station broadcasting from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, there is a melting pot of talent from poets to musicians, authors to chefs. Tune in to hear some new and exciting content. On this episode of Soho Shortwave, we hear from Sally Hughes, Oxman on Soho Skank, Arena Mancini and EMI Production Music. My name is Oxman. I'd love you to listen to the show. I present a show on Soho Radio on Wednesdays between 8 and 2. My listeners call me Ox because we do this together. Without the listeners, there's no Ox. Without the Ox, there's no listeners. Join us because what we do is play reggae music from Jamaica, some from the UK, some from America. Reggae's created all over the world. But we focus on the vintage, which covers ska and rocksteady. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We love it. You'll love it. Once it gets under your skin, there's no turning back. Check us out. <laughs> Ooh, lovely. Don't believe me? Check this segment. This is just a fraction of what we do. This is Dennis I'll be speaking with. Reasoning. Right. Oh, my days. Oh, my days. I cannot believe this. Dennis Bovell is in the place. Music extraordinaire. Producer and arranger, engineer, songwriter, and much more that he's going to tell us about. That's 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 who we got in the place. <laughs> Yo, Oxman, Wagwan. Thank you so much for turning up. Respect with Manus. I love that. It's I've been a trying to get you. to be asked to Thank be on the other side. No, you are a legend in the business, and we're going to unfold this evening. I'm going to pass in your business. Raindrops fell from my eyes I was crying And then I realized People were staring Raindrops from Dennis Bovo, second vocal solo Yep And I love it Oh, give thanks Guess what I get to notice now with, with uh, this style now I get to realise it's almost like a stamp because this drumming, you've done the drumming this yeah, as well, yeah, right? Yeah. It, there's a few of your tunes that I've got, and we love that style at that yeah. time. And I've got some here with me. All right. <laughs> and enough. that drumming, with, when I hear it, you know, it's Matumbi. It's your sound. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And love it. So when you, this is the first tune, I think, where you use that drum pattern. Like, yeah. Because that was like the goddess steppers. That, that was what was coming in at the time, you know. Right. Um, so the drummer had to move the step that way. Right. For for the new sound. For the new sound. And are you engineering by this time, Dennis? You done the engineering yourself? Yeah, I did engineering from since Spencer Park School. Right. Since I was at the fifth year, I was 15, 16. And yeah, self-taught, just learning. Well, kind of under the guidance of the teachers that, that were there, you know. Yeah. That would, and, but and they then, only show you the technical. That's I know. I, I had to ask the questions and look for the results myself. Aye. 
the best uh, way. Which, which you know, <laughs> I was intent on finding. Right. So okay. When I found that and and I knew about engineering, right. when I went to recording studios. I'd be like, tell the engineer, listen, go and have a cup of tea yeah. because you're just going to be in my way. Okay. You know, because yeah. a lot of them were afraid to turn up the beers. Yes. Right? Yeah. Them, yeah. them going mash up that. But I was going, mate, no, yeah. you can't go in a studio with Jimi Hendrix and tell him that the guitar's too distorted. You got to use the equipment, man. See that? You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Rinse it out. Rinse it out. So, Dennis, by this time now, um, because you didn't mention the uh, time with Sufferer, which was after the first sound. Uh, well, the thing was briefly, about Sufferer, so, yeah. in 1969, around about there too, All right. uh, a friend of mine, Owen Kerr, okay. called and said that he wanted to listen to my dub plate selection. All right. So he came over to my house mm -hmm. and I had my quarter inch tape, you know, and okay, I played by the, my yeah. things, right? And he was like, yeah, I want that one. Yeah, I want that one. I was like, yeah. And then he wanted yeah. all of the stuff Everything that I recorded. That made. And they were just making a new sound. So and I, saw, I was like, do you have a, um, a DJ? And no. Yeah. So I thought, well, on account of what to pay me for all of them too. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just make, make this my contribution to the sound yeah. as long as I'm the DJ. Okay, so two light raindrops and um, Brother Louis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's the one we played before? This one, uh, Run Rasta Run. Yeah. Those tunes there, you give them to sounds first. Yeah. Are you playing Sufferer Sound at this yes, point? at that point. So I'm you're playing, playing them exclusive? on the sound system, yeah. More Cuts as well, exclusive Yeah, oh, you cuts. mean, man? That was the yes. name of my record label, More Cuts. More Cuts. Okay, nice, nice. Great stuff. So you're fully fledged musician by this time. Absolutely. You've got a direction in your head. You know where you're going. You know what you're doing. I'm right. just about to get the sack from my job. Oh, <laughs> because it's, the music because, is taking up. Well, the music's taking too much of my time. time. And in fact, uh, famously, uh, the manager said to me, so as you can further your career in the music business, yeah. you're sacked. Oh, dear. Anyway. But it's a blessing. That was, was a good. blessing. It was, was a blessing. Go, yeah. Get your cards and out oh, no. through the door. Yeah. <laughs> you can leave now. Right. All right, Dennis. I've got a label here now. I'm going to Rama. Same job pattern. Love this tune. In fact, I need a new copy. I've rinsed it. Right. Easy. Um, I want to say something quickly because this is what I sort of. Um, this is how I was thinking as a youth, right? Mm. Um, so this, I know this is made in the UK. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I know back then as well. Uh, I think a lot of the UK producers, singers, everything used to think that they get a fight, and there's biasness. If it doesn't come from Jamaica, they they won't buy it. So you cut the record out, dink out the middle, and mm -hmm. some people would think, oh, from Jamaica, and or at least they're important. Yes, you know what I mean. Um, was that the purpose you did that? Because this tune I'm going to play is on Rama. Yeah, well, we bought a dinking machine. And we pressed these records in Ireland. Okay, in Ireland? We pressed them in Ireland because we were getting a good deal to press records in Ireland. Okay, nice. And we pressed them in Ireland and brought them across the border, right? And uh, we dinked out the middle. What, with a, a hand dinker? A hand dinker. Wow, hard work, that's all. But, but we knew how much to sell because every time we get the order for 10, dink out the middle for 10. Whose job was it's, a, it's called Shoulder to the Wheel. <laughs> All right. Let's play this tune. I don't know if you know what I'm going to play, but here it goes. Love this tune. Yeah. Yeah, man. Big match. I need a new copy. 
Remember that one, Dennis? What do you mean, man? Listen, I wrote that tune after watching Roots on Channel 4. Wow. Um, that's, that's where the line comes. Um, Makes no difference if you change my name, because oh. in my heart I'll remain the same. Beautiful. These tunes, like they say Roots now, but we used to call, this is like rebel music. This is what yes, we sir. needed in our time growing up. Yeah. Tribulation we were facing, whether you go school, from school to work, in the work environment, you know, and it was just in our face all the time, racism. So these tunes were a good release. Yeah. You know what I mean? Release attention. And the funny thing as well, um, I mean, you had like Steel Pulse at that time, Dennis. Yes. But um, as successful as they were, they didn't really touch us so much. On the, they had tune like Klu Klux Klan and all that. I'm not, not trying to um, deform well, the I will say about Steel Pulse, right? Mm. I was invited. World, sorry. I well, was definitely. invited one evening to be a judge yeah. in a talent competition. Mm -hmm. in Birmingham in a club called Santa Rosa right. where um, the first prize, the winners of this talent competition mm -hmm. would be um, treated to a day in the studio with All me. Right. The winners of that competition were Steel Pulse. Okay. And uh, they had written a song called Hansworth Revolution Tough tune. for that competition. Tough tune. Now, if I had said that they weren't the winners, I probably yeah. wouldn't be alive. Because yeah. <laughs> the audience, when they started to play, the audience went eight. Yeah, yeah. So for their prize, yeah. I took them in a recording studio and recorded that and song. Reco so okay. I was the first producer of Steel Pulse, um, their first five records on Tempest, um, Brilliant. Bondem, Naya Love, all them tunes. Yeah. And David Hines, mm -hmm. who is... Um, the lead vocalist, I think. The lead vocalist, was, yeah. and, and currently on tour, I think, with the Rolling Stones in America, Steel nice. Pulse, is a member of my new group with Brinsley Ford. Oh. And myself, Three the Hard Way. That's really good because, you know... As I said, I'm not being derogatory to Third World or Steel Pulse, but I thought their stuff was a bit lighter for us on the streets than time because you wouldn't go dance and hear one of their tunes. No. But you would hear a Matumbi, you would hear a Aswad. Yeah. You understand? Kinda yeah, we were more the roots to, to, to uh, the, you know. That, that's what I'm saying. And I'm amazed, actually, that um, as far as I know, I, I don't know any works um, with you and Aswad. Back in them days, which mm -hmm. which uh, I, I don't know what. No, no, no. We did. We were in different camps. In fact, um, the first works I did with any member of Aswad was Drummy Zeb came mm -hmm. to do a tune that I put out on Serious Business called when I was at Concrete Jungle. Oh. One, of, one of them record labels. How there long? That I, that I was. How long? Yeah. How long? I wish I brought that, man. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling that, because it's the sound. Yeah, yeah. That was my first recording with Drummy Zeb playing drums in, in a studio called Eve in Broccoli. Yes, yes. Right? And yes. Um, from there on, him and I went to do some amazing works. In fact, um, Errol Dunkley, Little Way Different. I That's knew it. him and I. I knew it. And then the sound Silly again, Games. Yeah. Yes. And Matumbi, um, Pretender. 
Pretender you, you better, better surrender. surrender. Yeah, that's <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sally Hughes and this is my co-host, Kate Sevilla. We are here every four Wednesdays. And what is it, Kate? It's like a kind of down the pub with your mates. Yeah. There's some swearing, there's some Lots music, there's some jokes. There's also, frankly, some alcohol abuse. <laughs> so sometimes we drink. It's true. <laughs> On today's episode, we have TV critics and broadcasters. Michael Hogan, hello. And, and, and Julia Racer. We're like Pinky and Perky. We um, have the same job title. But <laughs> don't be too impressed by them. No. I was semi-impressed until Suggs from Madness walked into the show. Yeah. Ad he walked past. I fancied him. He wandered in and started talking. At that one point, he licked the window and he Sally he slid he off her stool. He took one step beyond the studio <laughs> and he wasn't wearing baggy trousers. <laughs> so we are here. Every, Very well-tailored trousers. Yeah, he looked gorgeous. He did. Yeah, yeah. So Kate and I are here every fourth Wednesday on Soho Radio's Culture Channel with different guests each month talking about popular culture, TV, politics, magazines, anything that's happening in the wider world, and a few drinks to boot. TV critic Michael Hogan is so hot that um, he has gone to remove a layer. But we still in all the ways that implies. <laughs> but we still just have um, yeah. TV critic Julia Rayside with us, and obviously Kate Sevier is here. Here he's he there. is. Here he is, Michael Hogan. Have you taken your best off, love? Lovely. Um, please, while I have TV two TV critics in the studio. Can we talk about the other big return this week? Not just I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, but The Crown. Oh, my so God. The Crown is back for Series 3. It's all changed. Claire Foy is no longer the Queen. Um, Olivia I mean, Coleman. she is in our hearts. Yes. Yeah, 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 she's ace. Um, Olivia Coleman is now the Queen. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is Princess Helena Margaret. Helena Bonham Carter oh. is Princess Margaret. It's all changed across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, some more successfully than others, I would say. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, I think the word I sent to you in the email, uh, my one-word review was gash. Am I allowed to say gash? Of course you are. Of course you are. It was the home of gash. It was. So I, the crown. I feel a little bit like I didn't drink the same drugs as everyone else when it first started. So I thought the first series, while lavish and beautiful sounded like it had a head injury throughout like the words really? were so stupid how so because I really liked it I the, di- it. the dialogue was dumb as like a box of straws it's really thick over explanatory expository dialogue with no kind of truth in it no human warmth it just was like robots had written it I was really confused series two however um, when um, Van- is it Vanessa Kirby who played mm-hmm. Princess Margaret yeah. the Princess Margaret affair stuff or the, the, all of her life I was gripped and they, they, they hardly said anything and it was so sexy it was so brilliant I completely bought into that I loved it this series back to the head injury low doorways wherever you go like absolutely it's... dreadful and it looks beautiful and the actors are great and the words are Gash. Gash, Kate, I'm going to say gash again. Kate Sevier, you've watched the whole thing. I have. Oh, have you? Well, I'm well, on... Series one, two, and halfway yeah, through Yeah, I'm halfway through three. I think I'm on episode, like, six or seven. Um, <laughs> the first episode is so fucking bad. The it's Anthony Blunt, Winston Churchill dying episode. Yeah, I was yeah. spoilers. so <laughs> confused because I thought, because they made this whole thing about that trailer that they sent out, the scene of her looking at the stamps and being like, some things never change and others do or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then oh, you're meant time. to be like, oh, wow, we're really going forward in time here. It's the same fucking yeah. year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 1964. I yeah. thought that they were going forward like 10 years or something. Nope. It's just, uh, isn't that just that way a stamp of like cranking the gear from five six minutes ago. Yeah. Six minutes ago. And here oh, I am gravity, now. Look at this change. You haven't been kind to me in the last six minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I don't look like Claire Foy anymore. <laughs> I know, weird. I look 
like the lady off Beep Show. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, it's just so there's so many things about it. Like her relationship with Philip is just suddenly completely different. They're yes, like joking around and really affectionate. Agree. It's I'm a like, different show. But you show. were seething with rage literally yeah. six months ago, where we've picked up from. Yeah. Um. So the first episode. Naff. There's just so many horrible things about it. So Winston Churchill dies. My favourite moment in that episode was when um, the I think even Sally m- might have mentioned this in the emails we were sending before the show, but uh, uh, where someone someone's birthday, some random guy's oh, birthday, yeah, and everyone goes Happy birthday <laughs> to oh the Queen looks sad, and she comes back. She just had a phone call. Winston is dead. Yeah, <laughs> Winston Churchill it's... died. It's like oh that was the, like a bag of cliches like just no, tipped all over Quite the ceiling. So I I, I just. I found it cheap. And I think mm. I, I think the thing about The Crown is I fully accept the soapiness of it. That's yes. fine with me. I'm not a snob it's about Downton those Abbey. things. I'm absolutely fine. fine with the yeah, fact yeah. that it's a soap and that it's kind of scandalous. And we all make that leap of faith about, of course, we can never really know what the co- those conversations yeah, sound like. We're filling like. in the blanks. We're filling in the blanks. But to me, this was cheap, and I know I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I have written a, an actual book about the Queen. I think you're pretty close. <laughs> and, and done a significant amount of research, and in episodes one and two, the Queen behaves in a way that I know for a fact the Queen yep. will not, cannot behave. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there were... You mean co- that deathbed scene where she... The deathbed scene She's, over, she's overly gushy, and she kind of kisses Winston Churchill, which I don't she, think will happen. So, no, so no, no, Michael no, no. Hogan is referring to the scene in which Winston Churchill dies. So John Lithgow, brilliant. John Lithgow, underused. Fantastic as Churchill. Uh, The Queen, who is now Olivia Coleman, goes to visit Winston Churchill. And of course, as you may remember, Winston Churchill very much guided the very young Queen through Mm, mm. um, the beginning of her life as the Queen Mm -hmm. and really helped her. And, you know, sometimes I think it's fair to say slightly screwed her over, but but Mm. by and large was a kind of mentor to her. And he's dying and she goes to see him alone and has this incredibly sort of sentimental, emotionally naked conversation or, or one or kind of monologue at mm. him that, that is simply not how she no, would behave. No. Um, it simply would not happen. And as Julia says, that scene where he, she walks in, then after he dies, they say, happy birthday to Winston's dead. <laughs> Which again, it really is was absurd. That good. She wouldn't it was like so... an EastEnders Christmas special, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. It was like, do, do, yeah, do, yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just completely not how she would behave. And there are numbers of scenes like that. There's a scene, I can't remember if it's in episode one or two, where she's at a dinner party and she's being incredibly yes. candid. Yes, it's the first um, episode, yeah. Uh, about the Americans and about Harold Wilson mm-hmm. in a way that, again, she simply yeah, yeah, would not She's talking to, like, a long table, table about her worries about Howard Wilson. Yes, yeah. Like, yeah. she's like, everyone, here's my feelings. Yeah. And she just wouldn't. And as no. much as I'm kind of fine with the soapiness and that we can play a little bit kind of fast and loose with history, not at the expense of characterisation. Yeah. yeah. And so their manipulation of history has resulted in an unbelievable character. And we all know in drama or comedy, the characters have to be believable, then you can play fast and what, loose. What they yeah. don't do, which is what everything has to do, any kind of narrative stuff is, if you don't know what your characters want, then they won't act like human people. Mm-hmm. And even if it's just the Queen and she wants to maintain her composure, or what, she has to want something. And in most scenes, nobody wants anything. They're just like randomly in beautiful palaces in nice clothes, yeah. cut to next scene. It's so lazy and weak and like they should know better. And it's like they're putting in half the effort because, well, America going to just buy this shit up. So I, let's yeah, just I mean, I, I think that's... It's th- Downton Abbey. Nobody wants anything. I, agree. I think the influence downtown. of America no. is, is somehow on it. Like it, it's... Agreed. 
it's particularly some of the exposition, some of the expositional dialogue is so clunky they kind of mm. go, oh yes, remember the Profumo sex scandal with yeah. the. Osteo, the the <laughs> oh osteopath of the, the centre right. of the sex scandal. The Anthony um, Blunt stuff was exactly that, where um, one of the one of the characters, one of whoever was uh, hunting spies. So Julia's talking about the scandal in which oh, the God. Queen's art advisor, yeah. I think the chief of pictures, or turned whatever, out yeah. to be the fourth man. Turned out to be blah, blah, the fourth blah, blah, blah. man. He turned out to be a in Russian spy. And there was a character yeah. I forget who played him. It was the guy who it was the guy who was in Peep Show, who was like the boyfriend of someone that uh, Sam West played Anthony Blunt. Oh no, that he played Sam West. So the yes. guy, the, the, the yes. spy hunter, was this guy who was in Five and he sat there. Yeah. And genuinely, sometimes, you know, when people are given dialogue, you just think, you poor bastard, like, how did you get through that without going, sorry, can we just, this is awful. <laughs> and he sat there and had to basically explain about three years of history while trying to make it sound like conversation. It was appalling. Mm. It was I like, of course, people Wikipedia have been feeding entry. information to the KGB for some years and there's and an inside people, man. And he went to <laughs> some people think that Wilson was indoctrinated by, but actually this is what happened. And he didn't kill. So it's like, oh my God, have you, this is, again, head injury. Like, so I wonder, you can't just sit there and read Wikipedia yeah. and just give it to a cat. It's terrible. So, so I wonder if, if the, the, obviously Netflix has always been an international company, mm. but whether... I don't know, maybe the crown does so well over there that they're aiming it more in the American market, or maybe... Are we blaming oh, America for or maybe, this, guys? No, Sorry, maybe, Kate, look, the, the thing we're is... The writer, Kate, you're number, just take we're it. We're the writer for aiming the exposition journey. at America. <laughs> because we Did know this stuff. Or we, 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 yeah. we at least take a bit more subtlety about it, whereas... I think we've just seen an episode, too, genuinely. No, you can do exposition without people just where some, saying where, where, he, where the Duke of Edinburgh says, oh. something, something, your grandfather, and she goes... George V. Right. Well, look, so, she's got to, she has to confirm so her own grandfather's good. name. So, Hogan, when she said that, I literally said aloud the Victoria Wood line of cup of tea, the hot drink. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> from um, from uh, Acorn Antiques or the Mal. And it was, yeah, it was the Mal where she says, would you like a cup of tea, the hot drink? Or, um, I, won that, I won that prize in Hove near Brighton. It was one of those where it's like people couldn't come in fast enough to explain and, uh, uh, and fill in the gaps. There were two. There were two scenes that drove me nuts. Knowing what I do about the Queen, just as a British citizen, never mind somebody's written a book yeah, on yeah. it. There were two things. There was one where there was that ludicrous scene where um, she was speaking at cross wires with the guy from with the MI5, MI5 guy, yeah. and she thought he was talking about Harold Wilson. He was talking about Anthony Blunt, and they continued talking. There is so literally stupid. no way no. that the Queen would run with that conversation about the Prime really, Minister. It's also a real trope, that, that conversation, yes, from, exactly. kind of like, from low-rent dramas and soaps. It's uh, like... It it was like a low-rent sitcom drama misunderstanding, your classic misunderstanding. There's so no weak. way yeah. that that has a place in such high-quality drama. It's lazy. And there's no way the Queen would take part in that. Hi, this is Paul from the EMIPM Presents the Music Library show. We are probably the number one library music show in the world. Uh, we're on every four weeks on a Wednesday afternoon, 4 till 6pm, where you'll hear new library tracks alongside rare, newly digitised cuts. Uh, we often feature guests where you'll, you'll hear uh, film and TV composers. Uh, we'll talk about sampling, the library music industry, as well as our favourite TV theme tunes. Uh, in the clip of the show you're about to hear, um, I was talking to Lizzie Ellis from Saffron about the gender gap in the music industry, and we were looking at how that's impacting on the production music industry as well. I uh, hope you enjoy the show and tune in next month.
was Information Highway by Klaus Oberheim and Dave Odyssey. And Dollar Bells, y'all, by That Man Monks. And we're now joined in the studio by Lizzie Ellis from Saffron. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Excited for the show. It's been, uh, yeah, it's great to be doing something a little bit different, thinking about soundtracks and stuff today. So Yeah. Um, so tell us about Saffron and, and the work you, you do. Um, so Saffron uh, has been going for just over four years. It was founded in Bristol by a lady called Laura Lewis-Paul. Um, we are a non-profit organisation that our, our primary aims are to to address the gender imbalance that we see in music and specifically the technology side of music, um, you know, very traditionally male-dominated male areas. Um, and, yeah, we're working towards uh, seeing seeing a fairer fairer playing field i think yeah um and i thought a good place a good place to start is because there happened to be a report that came out uh towards the end of october from uh, vic bain about mm. uh counting the music industry the gender gap why do you think that there's that disconnect between people that are studying and are actively part of music to then get a career it's there's a drop-off in between mm. Mm. um i think there's Lots and lots of reasons, um, and actually, Vic identifies this in her report. Uh, you know, saying that it's it's more the the sum of all of those reasons together that that feed into why there is this drop off. Um, some of the things that we look at, uh, I guess, is it's, it's a bit of a self perpetuating thing that there's not enough female role models in these kind of positions, uh, doing really well, doing you know, composing some of the best soundtracks and producing some of the best pop music and stuff. Um, so it's not having those role models. Then there's really deeply ingrained uh, social biases, unconscious biases that all of us hold, I, I think, even even me. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's that. Um, then there's things specifically towards women, which doesn't just apply to the music industry as well, uh, you know, around having families and unsociable working hours, all those kind of things. Um, which is why really we're looking to change things from the ground up by mm. allowing um, girls and, and women to get access, uh, a sort of first entry point into these areas of music through, through education. That was uh, the track Defeated Clown um, by Hilda Goodnadottir from the Joker soundtrack. And that was uh, the intro music to the film Jackie by Mika Levi. Amazing. I um, I actually, I went to see Joker at the cinema last night, finally. And that particular bit, um, the excerpt you played just then, really stood out to me. Super powerful. Yeah. It's just something she, she does. It's just so sparse, but... Um, it's quite thick sounding as well. It's mm. very dense. Mm, mm. Um, it really adds to that atmosphere of the film, I think. 
Yeah. So let's talk saffron. Okay. Now. Um, <laughs> because you, saffron, you, you do a lot of projects and there's a lot of work. There's a lot of sort of facets to what you do. Yeah. Um, and so Tech Dissect being one of them, which was the event that you, you held at the start of this month. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Tech Dissect is our, our newest thing, um, which will hopefully now become our flagship event. It's essentially, it was a, an all-day gathering for women and gender minorities, either already working in, in music, music tech, or wanting to get into it. So we had age 16 plus, basically. Um, and it was held at Spitfire Audio's HQ in King's Cross. They've got a really lovely space up there. And we invited a bunch of amazing guest speakers and uh, you know, composers, producers, sound engineers, and they gave talks and hosted workshops and that kind of thing. And we had a really wonderful day. Awesome. And so who did you have on the panels? Who Who was involved in it? Well, I guess one of our one of our big names we had Hannah Peel, um, who was in conversation with uh, the journalist and broadcaster Jennifer Lucy Allen, um, and that was a really great chat between those two. I mean, Hannah's someone who's really making waves at the moment. She's had an Emmy nomination this year. Um, I can't wait to see what happens with her career next, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a wonderful person. Um, we also had Isabel Garvey, the MD of Abbey Road. Um, and it was really interesting to hear more about her career path from actually working in finance uh, before she started working in music. Um, and all the things that Abbey Road are doing, actually, to uh, you know their education programmes. Um, and then we had, we had some... We had Fiona Cruikshank, uh, who did a brilliant uh, mixing workshop. Katie Tavini, who we've done quite a lot of work with in the past as well, actually, who's super supportive doing um, mastering. She actually masters almost all of the releases we have on our label as well. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and you had our very own uh, Pixie from we EMI. We did, um, yes. Along with Connie Edwards, who is ex-EMI, used to work with us. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's now at We Are Golden, who yeah. are a sort of sync um, agency. And uh, they need to decide with them yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Sarah from ITV as well. They Those four did a great panel um, about... They talked a lot about the whole gender issue, actually, um, which we didn't go into too much during the day. I wanted the day to be more about, you know, getting on with doing the music. But it was mm-hmm. very important that we still had that discussion, I think, about, about gender in the music industry and specifically um, with the EMI uh, production music panel about, uh, you know, your sector and how your gender can affect your success within that. Um, so it was great to have you guys along. And yeah, Nanita had some really interesting stories to share as well about her experiences. Fantastic. And with having the uh, having it open to people who were 16, mm. um, did you find that you had a, a good spread of uh, age groups attend the event? We did have a good spread. I would say, ooh, from my guesstimate, I haven't analysed the figures yet, I'd say most people were in their 20s and 30s, um, but there were also quite a few women that were older as well. Um, so, I mean, this first Tech Dissect, it was a bit of an experiment mm-hmm. um, to see what worked and to see what was useful for the community. And um, And then I think, you know, next year and beyond, we want to... We want to improve what we're offering and and just, yeah, make things as good as possible for people.
I'm Irena Mancini on Soho Radio. Give my show a listen every other Tuesday, 2 till 4pm live. I'll be spinning my favourite Northern Soul, funk, rhythm and blues and garage rock, as well as interviewing my favourite bands and artists. On my most recent show, I interview director, photographer, Alfred George Bailey. Wish you let it go. It'll be okay. The lonely one Nattering through most of that, but it was. Yes, we were. It is a beautiful, beautiful song. That and his voice is is amazing, isn't it? No, oh, it's just <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's the voice of an age. Oh, I think it's an angel, but it is a voice of an angel too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so while you're making um, documentaries, and especially the, this, this recent one, do you, is it a bit like opening a Pandora's box? Are there lots of little s- sort of secrets that you find out, and little things along the line, which change the sort of I don't know direction of things? And is there? A, can you plan it all, or does That's it? That's such a great question because, <laughs> and as one of the terms I use all the time, though, and I picked this up in America, and Amelia said that there's lots of moving parts. Mm. So, you have an idea of how you think the documentary is going to go when you initially start, but what I can say, other filmmakers and people who want to embark on this, even when you're making an, um, a narrative that's written, things change on the day of filming sometimes, and especially with documentaries. You're right, you. There's things that we couldn't fit into this, which is a shame because it, it would have been a like a six-part series. His life was that big, mm. and to condense it down to 93 minutes is 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 a is a task in itself. But yeah, you open a huge box. Um, he was a very he was a man of many parts. Some of them very irascible. Some of them very controversial and I think he did that on purpose just to get a rise out of people sometimes and also to protect himself because actually underneath all the veneer of being this gruff with all the gruff blowback and the whole he was a very kind incredibly kind to his friends and if he was your friend he would support you and and stand by you always Mm. I guess you have to have a certain amount of sensitivity to take pictures like that so intimately as well you're absolutely right and I think if you if you don't understand human frailty he saw it in himself and it is documented and it's well known it's in the film that you know and when Amelia and I spoke and I said what she asked me what kind of film I would like to make on June if we're gonna you know we had the discussion because there'd been a few false starts of making the film and she like you know it was almost like third time lucky Mm. And um, I said, well, first of all, it's a a man's story, it's a human story. And you have to see the facets of the man as well, and you have to see his his frailties, his high points, his low, his incredible creative energy, and also the things that he's demons. Mm. And Jim, you know, I'm sure it's okay to mention this, he had a a cocaine habit, which nearly destroyed him. Mm. But... At the point of where it got to its worst, I think, well, Amelia came into his life and she literally 
plucked him from the jaws of oblivion. And I'm not saying that to be over dramatic. You know, he would have, he'd burnt bridges and pissed people off. And mm. oh, I hope he's okay. Yeah, to it's say fine. That. It's so radio. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, he upset a few people. Yeah. So, and he, um, you know, he could have lost lots of friends, but he, there were people who were so loyal to him and loved him for him. And that's, and that's the beauty of someone like Jim. He was he was not vanilla, and I love that. And I mm. so wish I'd met him, because I could imagine we would have had some great creative <laughs> Crazy nights out. <laughs> Don't think I keep up with him. Well, maybe you know. I think you maybe to get those shots, you probably did have to be part of the party. You know. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> well, he was weird, on the Stone Seventy Two tour, and that tells you everything I mean, you need to come know. On. <laughs> I mean, and <laughs> apparently Keith Richards said this guy is crazy. <laughs> Really? Yes. If <gasps> Keith Richards said that, yes, my God, Keith I can't Richards imagine. Like, Whoa. <laughs> so you know, and he, mm. you know, he, 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 he had an energy to him. I mean, if you hang out with Jerry Garcia, the Grateful Dead, and they would be, you know, he would be notorious for fun. He'd dose your drink with whatever, or put if you had a coat, they'll put a little bit of acid on the corner of the can, no. so you drink it and you think, oh, I feel strange. After Why a while. am I seeing horses exactly. running in the sky? Hey, man. <laughs> but you know, they, 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 and they saw it as just hey let's be all be free and Jim you know he, they, they didn't I don't think they did that to Jim but um, you know he he was in all of that he was in that whole world and he was um, as we mentioned earlier he was accepted and also he was he the Hell's Angels loved him mm. that can tell you he's, he, he sounds like he's sort of kind of a dangerous guy like living on the edge slightly of, and he was an everyman so yeah. he could be hanging around with Miles Davis Mm. who was Miles would not have anybody close he didn't trust and there was that whole how he actually got to finally photograph Miles is because he got to know Jim got to know John Coltrane because he had to give him a lift to Ralph Gleason's house who was the head of the Monterey Jazz Festival and he had to take him to Ralph, Ralph's house and he said could you help me he, goes, I'll, he said I'll drive you but he goes in return I'll take some pictures Wow! and these are some of the most unbelievably candid iconic photos of a of a creative human being I've ever seen mm, wow. of Coltrane they are it's one of the most beautiful portraits do you have a favourite of his photos oh, of please. Jim's photos I know that's a really hard question but is there one that sort of sticks out to you in your oh. head <laughs> you're not fair I know you? it's a difficult one I love the um, Janis Joplin one Joplin one you see done. they were I good really friends like um this is so hard. <laughs> I reckon it's got... You see, there's... I have a top five of gems. The Coltrane portrait's definitely in there. And there's a picture of the Stones on stage at the height of their power. Mm -hmm. And I love that photo. Miles Davis in the boxing ring. Yes, I love that one. That's incredible. I like the Hendrix one as well when he's rehearsing oh. on stage. It's interesting, that photo, because he looks like... It is from a rehearsal that Jimi Hendrix one. He was doing it? a he was just doing a sound check. Well, it, shows, it shows how authentic he is because that he could be performing on stage there. Like oh, Hendrix looked like he was he was doing a gig and yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, I know. God, like couldn't switch it off. But rem <laughs> you know the thing about the photo, these photos and that time period and that time is, and I'm going to upset people, but a lot of stuff now is quite is quite staged. Mm. There's kind of like a a designer behind the scenes. And they don't realise there's so many people there to to orchestrate or stage a look of it being being oh you're having a sneak peek, mm. but no one's sweating, no one looks a bit angsty. They all look like they're you know they look a bit too they look a bit too polished. 
and Jim would never would have accepted a, um, the way things are now. You have to go through so many barriers just to get close to somebody. And he would have seen it as, well, don't you want to tell the truth about somebody? You're singing all these songs, but mm. you don't want to show your real self. And I have to agree. I mean, I don't... That's why we laughed earlier about the pit photography thing. And it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that I, I, I want to show the human side of the artist. So if someone's mm. looking at these photos, they can say, do you know that look in the eye? I know that look. Yeah. And I know that feeling and I know that what they're going through. Well, you've just kind of answered, answered my next question because I, I was going to ask you, do you think the romance has gone from photography because there's obviously we've got this sort of social media everyone's got a phone on their camera sure. everyone's got um makes videos and puts them onto youtube and stuff like that do you feel like um it stopped people being vulnerable and stopped them being personal and stopped people having that realness as you said i mean i guess you've just said it really but do you feel like there's like i can expand on that slightly yeah, i think it's yeah. a great question mm. i think it's the democratization of photography and filmmaking is great, but you don't want it to be an exclusionary club, but you have to remember that someone who started as really young and have made their way to take photos that you look at and think, these are incredible, that's a journey. It's not just picking up your phone and putting a filter on it. Mm. That's not real photography. That's taking a snap and making it look pretty. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. And also, you have to... What happened was people would rather go for cheap and not pay somebody who has worked hard to go through it. So they'd accept, it's almost like you'd rather have the fast food than actually buy the raw materials that's mm. being prepared and cook. It's like, where's the journey? <laughs> Thank you. And that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. When you cook stuff, you made you a meal for you someone. You can't fast track, um, fast track it. It doesn't work like that. This is a Soho Radio Productions podcast. To catch up on all Soho Radio shows from both our music and culture channels, head on over to mixcloud.com slash Soho Radio or tune in live anytime at SohoRadioLondon.com.